Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. We are fortunate to have with us DC poet Venus Thrash, who is the author of The Fateful Apple, her debut collection of poetry. She was a finalist in the 2012 Jean Feldman Poetry Prize and the 2009 Arctoy Books Poetry Prize. Her poetry has been published in the Beloit Poetry Journal, Beltway Quarterly, Torch, Gargoyle, and the Arkansas Review, and in the anthologies Gathering Ground, A Reader Celebrating Cave Canem's First Decade, Haunted Voices, Haunted Places, an anthology of writers of the Old and New South, Full Moon on K Street, Poems About Washington, D.C., and The Spaces Between Us, an HIV-AIDS anthology. She has read at Split This Rock Poetry Conference, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, Virginia Festival of the Book, and the Library of Congress. She is a graduate of American University and a Cave Canem Fellow. She's in the process of completing a short story collection, The Soul of a Man, and a second poetry manuscript, Misanthrope. Welcome, Venus. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about you before moving on to the collection, if that's okay. That's fine. So have you lived in uh, Washington, D.C. all your life? Um, no, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, and I moved up here uh, as an 18-year-old uh, kid, very, very wet, I would say, in fact, soaked behind the years, <laughs> and, um, and I came up here to go to school at uh, Mount Vernon College, which, of course, no longer exists as Mount Vernon College, but, but that's what the goal was, and uh, I've been in D.C. ever since. So, um, do you have any siblings? I do. I have two older brothers. And are they still in Georgia? One is, and the and the other one is in California. He, he went out there to go to school when he was a 18-year-old kid, and uh, he, he fell in love with the state and, and never left. So is most of your family still around Atlanta? Um, most of my, my, my mom and my stepdad are in, in uh, uh, the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, but my extended family, aunts, cousins, and 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 uh, all of those people—they're mostly in Savannah. Um, mm-hmm. My 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 summers were spent actually. My parents would send us to Savannah or or Rincon, Georgia. Um, alternately, um, my my grandmother lived in Rincon up until uh, 2012 when she passed at the age of 92, and um, so um, so I spent my summers as a kid between Rincon and Savannah, Georgia. Well, that seems very lucky. Um, Savannah is an absolutely gorgeous city. I fell in love within 10 minutes. I, I love Savannah. It's, 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 I have some sort of crazy dream to retire there someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was it like to grow up around Atlanta and have your summers in Savannah and Rincon? Um, it, was, it was night and day uh, between the two. Savannah, uh, Atlanta being an a, a, a urban metropolis, bustling city. Um, Atlanta was a great place to grow up. 
um, and uh, just all kinds. Of, it was great being a kid and just just being able to roller skate and jump rope just about anywhere you wanted to, um, and just a certain amount of freedom as a kid in Atlanta um, that I don't think you know the kids uh, at, the, at these days have that sort of kind of freedom there. And then you know going up, going to uh, Rinkin and Savannah for the summer. It was a start. It was stark difference, especially Rinkin, um, because my 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 grandmother lived um, in the Rinkin woods. Rinkin is a small town. In fact, um, a poet friend of mine, um, Sammy Miranda, was telling me that where he's from, where they spell Rinkin the same way, but they call it Rincon, and mm-hmm. and it means like little smallest tiniest piece of corner. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, that's pretty much what Rinkin, Georgia is. <laughs> of a place and um and um and things haven't changed much there unfortunately uh in these days and times but yeah so i i there were dirt roads and outhouses and it was uh it was it was a stark difference i thought it was some sort of cruel joke of my parents to send us there every summer um you know now as an adult of course i i appreciate it i appreciate that that countryness the quietness the stillness the darkness i mean there were just no street lights at all uh once the sun came down it was it was jet black and yeah. and my grandmother lived off on this uh side dirt road and um um and 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 i think uh we had to go to the outhouse wow. and that was really scary for me i'm sure as a, ki- as a kid you know <laughs> so yeah it was it was a stark difference definitely so um, even though you grew up in more of an urban setting, did D.C. come as much of a surprise to you when you went to school up there? Um, the only thing that, that was a bit of a culture shock for me, unfortunately, was the actual college setting, mm. the college campus. Um, it was my first time at a predominantly a white institution, if you want to call it that. I, mm. I went to school in, uh, in um, all, you know, all uh, uh, these uh uh, black schools, high school, elementary school, um, and it was, you know, even though it was just right past desegregation, it was just not, it just wasn't happening yeah. um, where I went to school, and so um, so it was a little bit of a culture shock at Mount Vernon College. It was not just a, a racial cu- culture shock, but the, the kids were uh, uh, definitely more wealthy than I could have ever imagined. So, so I mean, I mean, there were eighteen-year-olds with huge, like, Mercedes Benz, oh and there, it, yeah, the the wealth was a bit of a culture shock for me as well. But, um, and I suppose that's why it didn't work out at Mount Vernon College <laughs> eventually, you know, because I didn't finish there. And it was, you know, it was a tough transition, and 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 the kids didn't take to me too well either, being who I was, and so. Um, so it was, it was best probably that I didn't get my degree there. Yeah, I, I can understand that that sentiment. Um, now, Mount Vernon was that in DC proper or in the part of Virginia that's called Mount Vernon? DC. It was in DC proper. It, it was actually um, in uh, upper upper northwest DC where all the huge mansions are and gotcha. you know all the the super wealth wealthy mm-hmm. people live. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very strange to encounter that. Um, I, I mean, I've had similar experiences. I grew up in a very blue collar, you know, lower middle class neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, when I when I first like discovered the state of Connecticut, I was extremely confused about how people lived. <laughs> like, yeah. What is going exactly. on here? Yeah, you know. 
it's 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 a it's a stark difference, but it also gives you a greater appreciation, I think. Appreciation uh, of where you come from, because it seems so much yeah. easier, you know. Yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> okay. Seems like we are of like mind. This should be fun. Yeah. Um. So, if if we could move briefly, um, okay. just to like more the specifics about your work, because as I read your work, first of all. I noticed the duality and the binary that you are discussing now growing up, um, you know, the urban and not even rural, but like pre-rural um, Georgia. And right. I noticed that, that you are definitely a few different people in your collection, and I really like that about it. And one thing that carries throughout both of these is musicality. So I don't know if you play an instrument or if you just had intense musical influences. Um, I... I... You know, my, my, my parents, much to their credit, had us involved in everything, um, including band. And so I, I learned the flute uh, starting in fourth grade. And uh, when I was in high school, I moved to a saxophone and to a bass clarinet and to the bass saxophone. Wow. So, um, and I, you know, and I was in the marching band. But, but not just learning music and learning to read music uh, was, you know, because my brothers played a trumpet and a clarinet and a saxophone. Um, and, uh, so it wasn't just that, that my parents kind of pushed us towards and, and actually, you know, struggled to purchase the instruments for us, but they did. It was also, my, my parents were big on music, particularly my dad. And, um, so I grew up in a very, like, there was always music on, especially on the weekend. I mean, I, I can't remember a Saturday or Sunday where I wasn't waking up to Gladys Knight and the Pips, the Temptations, James Brown, um, you know, on Sunday mornings, Aretha Franklin, you know. So it was that kind of it was that kind of place and so music has always been around me. Always. That's awesome. I, I never I mean, there wasn't very much music in my house, but I could only imagine the influence that, that would have on my ear and the future prosody to wake up to that type of music. That's great. It was it was awesome. I, I loved it. I mean, the, I mean, I, I I tell people all the time. I think I'm the only person in America who still listens to wax, you know, to vinyl. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I am, you know. Uh, well, I, I think that there are a few, and after our, <laughs> after our conversation, we can talk about them. Um, so, since I already know about your musical influences, what about your literary influences? Oh gosh, uh, where do I start? Um, At the very beginning. <laughs> You know, um, the, 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 well, the thing I like to talk about is when I was in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher had the, uh, the brilliant uh, audacity to start, start a poetic chorale. Um, and, um, and so um, rather than sing, we recited poetry. We got all dressed up in our, our best dress shirts and dress shoes and, and dresses, and, and we recited poetry to audiences. And I remember one of the first um, poets that we all, and we all had, and we all had to learn these poems by heart. And there were maybe 20, 25 kids in this, in this poetic chorus. And, um, and one of the first poets we had to learn was Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Wow. Um, and, um, and so I would, I would definitely, definitely say, uh, just being introduced to Dunbar at, at that age was a, a major factor for me. Um, because uh, because even today he's you know he's one of my favorite poets. Um, I I have s several of his collections, um, and um, you know I can uh, have some sympathy. One of my favorite poems by Dunbar and the poet and his song, also one of my favorites. And 
um, and after I learned about Dunbar's life, you know, after I got older and, and studied him more closely, you know, I, I saw what a struggle it was for him because a lot of people, because he, he wrote this, what they call dialect poetry, mm-hmm. and he also wrote very strict form poetry, uh, but publishers were reluctant to publish his form and, wanted, and were more interested in the dialect poetry, and this was very frustrating to Dunbar. Um, uh, frustrating so much so that, you know, he, he, he eventually became a heavy drinker and he died at like, I think 33, 34 years old. So, so he had, he was a struggle. So I, 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 I kind of, uh, sympathize with his, his, his inner turmoil, um, about his work. Um, so he, that was a big influence. Um. So do you think that um, with the dialect poetry, because I actually didn't know this, do you think that it was sought after more for innovation or trying to pigeonhole the, the writer? Um, uh, in terms of the publishers, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was part of pigeonholing. Yeah. To be, I have to be honest about it. Um, it was, it, and, and maybe it's not even pigeonholing. Sometimes it's just a comfort level, like, Maybe this this guy whose parents were slaves isn't supposed to be writing form poetry this well, and so maybe it's also you know comfort level. I mean, who knows what was what was going through anybody's mind at that time? You know, I'd, I'd like um, to. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, but uh, but I, I I just know that it was a it was a, a great source of uh, frustration and an inner inner turmoil for Dunbar himself. Dunbar was also trouble because he was a he was a dark-skinned man Mm -hmm. um and so these these were things that pained him based on how people responded to that um and i don't know if you also know this but he married the 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 writer and and poet um um alice dunbar yeah and um and um uh she was a you know she was a a very fairly well educated she was a light light complexioned um and um, and you know they they had a, a tumultuous marriage and I think part of it was the, the issue of skin color mm-hmm. and um, 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 and and not long after she left him was after he he was when he passed. Wow. Yeah. Well, I know that there is a high school named after him in Northeast DC. Was he a, a DC poet? Did he live up that way? Um, I think, yeah, I think, I, I don't want to get this wrong. I, I'm, I, I'm like expecting you to be a historian. Or <laughs> no, I'm I, sorry I, about that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 it, it's things that I know, but I always like start mixing them up with other poets and things and stuff like that until it gets all jumbled in my mind. But I would like to say that, yes, that, that, that his, he has roots here. At least I know, I think that is correct. Um, and, and back in the day, uh, gosh, back in the day, um, uh, Dunbar High School uh, produced some of our most brilliant um, black scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Sarah Zellis, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, and God, even even later than that. In fact, like the over the last year, they've they've actually renovated or well, actually just rebuilt the school altogether, um, and it's it's a beautiful structure. Um, and um, so and so many people um, uh, came through uh, Dunbar. From, from a long time ago, I wish I could just recall names right now, but I can't. And there's a there was a book like recently that came out over over the last year that really um, chronicles um, the history of, of Dunbar High School. Um, 
So it's, it's, it has an exceptional um, historical factor, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. It's a bonus. Um, so if he was your first real poetic influence, was that when you decided that you wanted to be a poet that young? Uh, it's, it's um, I mean, no, no, not at all. <laughs> um, you know, poetry, like music for me, was just something I did. And it was it was nothing, you know, I, 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 I called myself writing a lot of poems at that age and didn't didn't know you know, what that meant, um, and had no aim or desire behind it. It was something I enjoyed doing. Um, it was something my teachers encouraged. It was something, you know, my mom, you know, was, was always willing to listen to a few words that I had scribbled down while she was cooking, you know. Um, it was not something, it was never an aim of mine to be, believe it or not, Jen, until probably graduate school. Wow. Um, so I, I, you know, I when I first uh, was in college, I was enrolled in communications, uh, mass communications, ha ha, and um, and um, you know, but when I moved on to American University, I had a lot of professors who were encouraging what they heard was a voice. I guess this is how they described it, a strong voice, um, and that's when I started really. I guess taking all this writing that I've been doing for so many years, that's when I have been taking it seriously. And I know that you also write um, fiction, or specifically short fiction. Did that also happen in graduate school? Um, actually, you know, uh, I've been writing. I've been writing poetry and fiction. Uh, but the first poem I wrote, I was about in first grade, um, and there was a literary arts festival, and. And, you know, that they did uh, not school wide, but school uh, system wide. And and for some reason, uh, they asked me to, you know, represent my school at this language arts festival and to read this poem that I have written. And the poem was about my mother. I can't don't please don't ask me what it said because I don't have no clue. I just know it was about her. And uh, it was a big hit. And that was first grade. And then in third grade. Um, I wrote a poem called Happiness, which was published in the Atlanta Public School System's like quarterly newsletter um, to something. So I've been writing poetry for a long time, for 40 years. Um, I started writing short stories when I was about in fifth grade. Um, uh, and in fact, we had a, uh, they, they did this whole language arts festival thing again, and I wrote this short story, um, and I can't even, I don't even remember the name of it, but they did a big book production. We had to, you know, bind them and it was awesome. It was so, it was so neat that we, that we get, we got to make this book, these books. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and this, in this book, the story that I wrote that I can't even remember the name, I think it was called. <laughs> Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was called A Visit with Mrs. McCarthy. <laughs> and um, and, um, and um, it actually, you know, it won. It won at the uh, Language Arts Festival. So, so I've been writing for a long time. Uh, like I said, it was done mainly out of interest, out of curiosity, um, out of a love for writing. But I never thought, you know, that that I would actually have a book of my own with my name on it. You know, you know, it, it just, it just never occurred to me that it was a possibility, you know? Yeah. It must be an amazing feeling. I'm, I'm glad that you had that experience at such a young age. I love it when, you know, grade schools and middle schools foster the arts in, in children. 
Um, yeah. I think it's really important. Um, I, yeah, my teachers were so incredible, and, and I would win these, these English awards and stuff like that. They were so good at just, like, pushing me in that direction. I don't know why I resisted, <laughs> you know, but, but they were just so good at it, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that they were. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the collection since you bring it up. Now, was this something that came together organically, or did you write towards this collection? It was very organic. <laughs> it was very organic. Um, uh, several of the poems I wrote in grad school, obviously, and um, but you know, several of the poems are actually, to be honest with you, that last poem in the collection is is the oldest poem in there, and uh, and I think I wrote that in the the, the early to mid nineties. Wow. I want to say, and um, so it was. So it was very organic, and um, when I when I was in grad school, and you you know you get to hang with all these other writers, and you realize they have a they have a certain like goal and goal set in mind. Like, yeah, my book, my book, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, hey, I'm just right. I'm just trying to write a, the next poem, pal. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of um, and then and it was. It took me a while to, to formulate the fateful apple, and it took me a while to um, you know, kind of make it, uh, bring it into some sort of realization of like how I wanted it to be, and 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 and, and what I realized it was turning into. Like it, it took me looking at the point, all the poems that I had written as a whole, to understand how they were going to fit together as a manuscript. Mm, absolutely. Um, I would love if you could read a few pieces. For sure, us. I'd love to. Okay. I sure. Great. Um, now, besides how much I enjoyed the poem Rare, I found Dr. Keith Leonard's brief but interesting analysis of it in your foreword to offer a little more insight into the physical and mental landscape of the piece. Um, mm -hmm. He says, A subtle defiance of remembering animates Rare, which recovers a neighborhood in transition, as de developers like to say about so many Washington, D.C. neighborhoods. The poem recovers that neighborhood from the erasing of history by recalling both the beauty that once was and the beauty that still is. Finally, in adept acts of ventriloquism, Thrash gives many accents to the African diaspora, from hip-hop to southern drawl to an African timbre, replicating in verse the disparate and yet unified voices by which our collective being, in being collective, contends with and sometimes forestalls the sadness of our traumatic heritage, history, and present. Would you read Rare for us on page 50? Absolutely. Um, Rare. The 2000 block of 4th Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C., circa 2009. Kind of blue washed from the boombox on the moss-covered deck into the tepid breeze of a rare November warmth. The hip-hopper next door, khaki cargo bands hanging low as the electric wires behind our homes, emphatically bops his cornrowed head, forever stuck to iPod headphones, sweeps dead leaves of giant cedars from the concrete patio. Two row houses down, original go-go, chock full of congas and cowbells, shakes the block like beats from the back of a souped-up 74 Impala, rattling aged windows and weak slap fences. Mrs. Wright fires up the grill one last time this year. The smoky aroma of barbecue chicken and ribs stirs mouths of passers-by to water. 
She shares the spoils with the leaves as she has for 36 years. They laugh easily in spite of wars, endangered generations of youth, prisons stuffed dark with skin, the demise of music they once slow dragged or hustled to, and faces changing from familiar neighbors, grandmothers rearing grandchildren best they can, World War, World War II vets who flash sepia photos of younger selves in uniform, Granddaddy Charles who grows cotton in the front yard because it's pretty, the newcomers clinging to cell phones, walking mastiffs, rollerblading, cycling, jogging, who never look their new neighbors in the eye, never say hello, and ponder a block that will someday mirror their skin. The rights down beers from the Lee's icebox, seeing to themselves Sam Cook's change in hustled breaths. Chuck's go-go holler becomes Aretha's I Ain't Never Loved a Man, Bill Withers' Sunshine, James Brown's Please. A rare time in music, this whole block remembers, except the children, hyped on bass-heavy rhythms, wanton materialism, gross braggadocios, and stripping down of young women, who never know the art of dancing close and slow at basement rent parties under hazy red lights to Chaka Khan's sweet thing while all the broke-down furniture is piled outdoors to make room for get-down all night grooving. I absolutely love that poem. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. <laughs> I do. Thank you. I'm so glad you do. Uh, well, it's very obvious that the poet inhabited this street physically and mentally. Um, and I love the nostalgia of it and how even though it discusses the, how the children now are not going to know that past that you knew, um, that the future and the present might not be so horrible. But it is important to remember. It is so important to pay attention to our histories. It, it is. Yeah, what, what really were you is. thinking when you when you wrote this? Um, a, a lot was going on <laughs> at that. A lot was going on at that time. Um, but it but but when the when the when this poem opens up, it, it's actually a very kind of like a true story scene because I remember sitting on the back porch that day. I had um, jazz playing on my boombox, and it was it was Miles Davis. And um and right next to me, like this guy's like just bopping his head emphatically <laughs> in the next house and I'm like that that's 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 that doesn't match with, with, with the jazz coming out of my box, but hey, whatever. And then a little bit later I'm hearing like go go down the street and you know, and so there and so this particular day and it doesn't happen every day, it was really rare. And and and, and this particular day was this the street was just filled with music yeah. um and i was like I've, I've got to i've got to write about this and and you know what and what do i want to say about all this music happening at one time and it's all these different genres of music you know go-go old school r&b hip-hop <laughs> you know there's just all this stuff going on at one time and like i really wanted to capture it i didn't want to lose it you know and um and that's really how the poem came about yeah um i love the aspect of it that is connective tissue that shows generational um, I don't know if all the people on this particular street knew one another and had been there for a long time I, I see some allusion to that but 
even the new people that come in seem to be immediately absorbed into the culture of the street and the neighborhood. Um, the music, the, this is the thing that you return to often, is the music, and it's definitely something that binds, and, and it does it here, and I, I think you do it really well. Thank you, and and yes, I mean, the people, I mean, sometimes I, I, I have to, it's a, a confession, I'm still on 4th Street, Jennifer, <laughs> and, um, and sometimes I, I, I literally walk around because I know so, I know everybody, I literally walk around and I yell, I'm the king of 4th Street, I'm the <laughs> king of 4th Street, you know, because I just, I mean, I, I know the, I know the young to the old, I, I mean, I know them all, you know, and, um, I've seen, I've seen some of the older people die or move away because they they can no longer, you know, care for themselves in their homes. I've seen, I saw Granddaddy Charles pass, and he really did grow cotton in the front yard. And um, and I've seen Miss Miss Wright has moved away because she could no longer manage the stairs in her house. So I've seen a lot, you know. The leads are still here though, um, and I've seen and they they're young people and. Um, and then there are a lot of new people here, so um, who, who I haven't really gotten to know as well. They kind of they kind of stay in the house a little bit more, you know. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I mean, I walk around and and and, and I, I know the I know the, the youngins, I know the hip hoppers, and they're all like, "Yo, what's up?" And I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And, and then you know, and sometimes they think I'm absolutely loony because because I'm like, "Yeah, I'm the King Four Street," you know. It seems that you are that connected to you. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It would be so. It would be so. Sometimes, though, sometimes I really, really need a change of scenery. <laughs> I really do. But uh, I guess in due time. Yeah, uh, I think that that's one thing that's lost with, um, you know, neighborhoods in transition, in quotes, or gentrification. Mm -hmm. uh, when the money moves in, the, the folks who've lived there for generations and have that cohesive bond of neighborhood get pushed out. And, and where do yeah. they go? I mean, where do they go? That's, that's a big question because um, there, was, there were a couple of car apartment complexes on the corner of 4th up there, and they emptied those places out. They completely emptied them out. Um, over a couple years, and now they're like major condos. They're really expensive. I mean, I couldn't afford to live there, really, to be honest with it. They're beautiful. What they've done to the buildings are beautiful. I just always wonder, like, why couldn't they do that for the residents who were there before, you know? Yeah. But um, but it's really beautiful and really expensive, and it's really not meant for, like, just the regular folk on 4th Street who've been here all these years. It's not meant for us. So it's, it's, it's a... Um, it's, it's, you know, I feel pulled because I, I see the neighborhood getting better. I mean, we have, for God's sake, there's a Thai restaurant in walking distance from me. Yeah. And I tell you, the only restaurant that was in walking distance from me before gentrification happened was McDonald's. <laughs> okay? And I don't do the McDonald's. No, and, and you shouldn't. So, so um, yeah, so I see the improvements and I feel kind of torn. There's even a Chipotle of this. I mean, it's it's so different now than what it used to be. Um, I mean, we can take solace in the fact that these developers can come in and they can build, you know, fancy homes. They can charge astronomical rents. They can bring in, you know, the, the frozen yogurt places. But they can never replicate community. They can never replicate exactly. the people who know one another and help one another. Um, and exactly. The, the, yeah, that's something that, that we take with us. Like when... when 
people like you and I get pushed out of our neighborhoods, we bring that part of our soul with us to wherever we go, and we'll just recreate it there. Forget them. It's true. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. And, um, yeah, so I feel, you know, yeah, I feel good about it. Can you still hear me, by the way? I can. You're perfect. Okay. Um, cause, um, because eventually there, there, there's going to be a Barnes & Noble in walking distance for me. Oh, wow. I know, and I kept I, I, I sent I sent the picture of the, the coming soon sign on my Instagram and I wrote, you know, I don't know if I've died and gone to gentrification heaven or hell, you know. <laughs> I mean, because I mean it's a major bookstore. And and I can just see me like just like spending all my time there, you know. Yeah. Are, are there any local bookstores by you that you love? Happiness. Uh, like um are there any independent bookstores by you that, that you love? Um, not close by, no. Um, there's, I don't know if you've heard of Bus Boys and Poets. Of course I have. Yeah, guess what? <laughs> guess what? What? They're moving into my neighborhood. It's going to be in walking distance, Jen. Wow. Actual walking distance, <laughs> you know. So, But I can guarantee you that the people on this end of 4th Street, I'm probably never going to run into there. It's a shame, you know. Um, I mean, there. I mean, there. While while you see the money coming in here, there's still a lot of poverty over here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't know how much longer a lot of these people are going to last before they just get priced out of the area. I really hate to hear that, and and there's not even anything that you know we could discuss right now that would would make a difference in that way. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's get on to something a little more lighter, if we shall. Um, the one aspect of your collection that resonated with me is the two assertions of selfhood that I see playing out on its pages. The first is a raucous setting of boundaries with the world, and the second is a reverent consciousness of ancestry and quietude. Now, am I crazy to read into it this way? No, not at all. I mean, I I, I think... Uh... I think there's a lot of that going on um, there. I mean, I think that, you know, when you have a certain, when you have all these many identities that I have, I think you have to have a certain um, resistance to the, to, to the world, you know, mm-hmm. a certain defiance maybe even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, and I think, um, I think that that defiance doesn't, necess- doesn't necessarily have to come out of anger Mm-hmm. Or out of the, or out of rejection, but it just, it, it just, it might just become out of the uh, necessity to, to survive, mm-hmm. maybe. Absolutely. Um, and um, so there's, and there's a lot of, and there's a lot of joy in, 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 in celebration in that, that difference in those different identities, um, because I, I always feel that if I don't celebrate them, who will, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, you do a wonderful job of celebrating it, um, especially in the first part of the book. Um, anytime that I notice that you, you know, asserting yourselfhood, um, presenting yourself exactly how you are, or the speaker, if, if we should say that, mm-hmm. the speaker presenting herself um, exactly how, you know, she wants to be seen by the world. And it's, it's a take it or leave it type thing, which is quite refreshing. I'm not going to lie. Thank um, you. So I was hoping that you could read another um, poem to us, one that um, I read a couple of times when I was going through your book and put a whole bunch of stars next to with, like, she will read this poem. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it is uh, Worlds Between Us on page 60. Oh, okay. 
Worlds between us. You are snapshots grown into memory. Family reunions, summer vacations. You gave me a quarter when I was six, a hand-me-down nylon slip when I was 10. Today, you are a ghost. Your worn flesh sags on its thinning bones, refusing to fall. Your dull eyes do the old soft shoe behind that gaping, stretchy mouth. How did you manage, with words never read, letters never written, to scrub folks' toilets with a dutiful smile, shake holy rollers shouting music from a half-moon tambourine, while I, with my house crammed full of books, cracked against invisible walls of hate and entertain notions of a godless world. That's a haunting piece. Um, do, yeah. do you want to talk at all about the process behind this? Um, the the process of the, the writing of a poem or the process of thinking about how, how I'm going to write about this, this woman in the poem. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that the process, taking the content, taking this, this placing of the speaker before another person um, and comparing with memory and, and in the present, like how did you render that on the page? Um, I really, you know, um, it, there's a two-part answer to that. Okay. Um, part one is that, uh, a lot of the poems, not all of them, but a lot of the poems come very organically for me, to use that word again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost and it's almost as if I'm in a state of subconsciousness actually mm-hmm. when I'm writing. And um, and and sometimes I never know how they're gonna come out. Um, but I knew I wanted to write a poem about my grandmother. And um, and I, I wanted to write about the distance between us, but but the but at the same time, how the distance connect keeps us connected in this strange sort of way, mm-hmm. um, and and that was how worlds between us really came about because um, um, it is it is this it is this distance um, that I keep trying to reach across and and shorten and narrow, and it is it is that journey that. That keeps that keeps a connection between us, you know, all together. Um, and and I wanted to express that because we're so, you know, even though we're two generations apart, we're so very we have these so very different worlds. I mean, um, you know, my my grandmother, you know, never learned to read and write, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here I am, you know, uh, as my uncle would say, here I am, edumacated. <laughs> And, and, and so, and, it, and that just happened in just, you know, a couple of generations. Um, and that's something, that's a, that's a blessing. Absolutely. Um, and, but I, but I know that this journey or this, this, this place where I am really would not be possible had it not been for the life of Catherine Brown, exactly. my grandmother. Exactly. And, um, and so I, I, and so I have a strong consciousness of that, um, uh, you know, she wasn't perfect. I mean, none of us are, um, and she certainly certainly wasn't perfect in the eyes of my own mother. But but there was something that got my mother to through her journey that allowed me to be here, and that's the connection I was trying to reach in that poem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if I was doing it. I'm not sure if the poem it turned out exactly as as I supposed it would, but uh, and it was a poem I struggled with actually because um, I was reluctant to talk about you know my grandmother and the the scrubbing the toilets and the cleaning the houses and I was mm-hmm. reluctant to talk about that. Why were you reluctant? I was reluctant, not for my sake, because cause I really feel like my life's an open book, mm-hmm. but I was reluctant for my mother's sake and for my aunt's sake and, mm-hmm. and, um, and the people that, you know, that we all, that all know my, knew my grandmother and loved her. Um, and, 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 and so, and I want them to, you know, to be proud of the poem too. And mm-hmm. so that was, that was the hesitation. And also in the line, um, letters in the stanza, letters never written to scrub mm-hmm. folks' toilets, I actually removed the word white because it was actually mm-hmm. to scrub white folks' toilets no. because that's what she did. Um, and um, and I, I, I went back and forth about including that or excluding that. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you told us that because in telling us you've put it back in and it belongs there. Yeah, I, I when the book was was out, I realized I should have just kept it real. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I should have just kept it real. And uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do think that poets have to pay attention to audience only from the sake of the publisher. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, thank you. Thank you for sharing that part of your history and. For this this piece, I, I I think it's one of the strongest in your entire collection, for sure. Wow, thank you, Jen. Thank you. Um, it was one of the pieces I was concerned about not being strong. Oh gosh, no, no, it, it's haunting. It, it definitely it, it resonates with the reader for sure. It makes you go back, okay. and um, I, I think that just as you're proud of everything that your grandmother did, your grandmother would be proud to be part of your life in this way. You know, okay. in, in this piece. Thank you. That means a lot. That really does. For the final um, poem, quote unquote, you have a sequence of three poems called Rinkin, Georgia, one, two, and three, and they appear in different parts of uh, the latter section of the book. And um, maybe to subvert the order that they're in, I was hoping that you might read them all as a single sequence, but backwards. And I will not tell you why I'm asking you to do this, if you would like to, until after you've already done it. Are you game? I am always gay. Okay. <laughs> because, my, because, because, my curiosity, because my curiosity is up, of course, you know that. <laughs> so, so we're going to go for it, just so I can find out what's, what's the deal on the other end. <laughs> okay. Okay. Whenever you're ready. All right. Um, uh, uh, just you want me to just read it as a long poem, right? Uh, yes. Please delineate the sections by um, reading the title. Okay. Gotcha. Rinkin, Georgia, three. Rhythm of rain on the tin roof lulls you into a mid-afternoon nap. Tumble from a bed you need a stepladder to climb into, with winter clothes stored thick between mattresses. Stumble out the back door over loose cinder block steps to feed kitchen scraps to 15 or 20 cats that gather around the door at the same time every day or whenever you call. Week in Georgia, too. Nighttime furls its dark brow, swallows the town in blackness. 
Beyond the bend in the road, a weather-beaten angel oak twists into an arthritic pose. Backwoods rumors claim a man was hanged there. Mother and aunts warn, if you pass, your hair will stand on root. That's him, they say. That's him. Lincoln, Georgia, one. Turn onto the back country roads, and the journey spins from red brick homes to tin roof shacks. Ripened rows of corn stalks lean into a reclining sun. Horses sprawl over grassy plains. Cows swap flies with their tails. Remember, the last time you made this trip, renting rather than risking the faithful clunker. Still, the borrowed car sputters and dies long before Grandma's house creeps into view. So you must knock on the old lady's door, the one you've called Miss Daisy, ever since she made you walk around to the back when you were five, too small to know ways of the South. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a progression in this collection, and it is a forward movement. Like I said, it is from one assertion of selfhood into another assertion of selfhood. And in this second assertion, the one that is conscious of ancestry and quietude, it is almost a backward movement in the narrative. Now, if you have this three-part series, which is a forward movement, but it's a movement towards age. It's a movement towards understanding the grandmother turning into the grandmother. What would happen if you switch this movement from the full collection moving towards the grandmother and then flipped it back where you move completely back into the self, the self of childhood, the self of understanding the world at a young age? And I just thought that, subverting the narrative in that way would kind of lead you, the speaker and the reader, back into the original self. And if I'm crazy, then please tell me I am, but I <laughs> I thought that that was awesome. I don't think that's crazy. It actually makes sense, especially in the order that I read. So no, I don't think that that's crazy at all. I think it does lead back that way. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that so much of this book is based upon experience. And if you if you start with this series with, with the, you know, all-knowing, having all the experience, and then just quite, you know, move back to that young innocence before the epiphany of mortality and all the, you know, the big words that we throw at growing up. Yeah, yeah, you're magical. absolutely right. It is. The book is really a journey, and I really, the order of the poems really is is, is a journey through without that life it really is that was one of my favorite parts about I, I got to see the speaker um in in so many different ways and i loved each of the ways like there was not one version of the speaker that i disliked in this collection awesome <laughs> um okay well that that was great um i have two final questions for you Sure. Um, the first one is, of course, born of the fact that, you know, poets do not have access in, you know, many bookstores or even databases about who is good, who is coming out. Um, so who are you reading right now? Um, right now, uh, right this, like, right in this moment, we're reading, I'm reading um, Yabo okay. by um, Alexis DeVoe. Nice. I just picked it up the other day. Um, I'm also 
you know, I'm one of those people that read many, many books at one time. <laughs> so, so um, I'm reading a little bit of Natasha Treadway. I'm reading um, uh, Lamar Willison. Um, who else? Uh, I'm doing some uh, for some further research, so I'm reading a lot of nonfiction right now on the civil rights movement for a story that I'm writing. Okay. So, yeah, so there's a lot of reading on my part, always. Awesome. Thank you. Um, now, if you couldn't write either poetry, you know, fiction, whatever it might be, what would you do? Oh, uh, ho, ho, Jen. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm a little bit of an of an adventure seeker, or I'd like to be, but 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 my funds limit limit that. So I would definitely, but I would definitely be some kind of a world traveler. Um, I'd be. Uh, I'd also like to be a professional samba dancer. Nice. <laughs> and um, and of course the male role in the dance part. Of course, mm -hmm. I can't. I can't do the glitter and the heels. <laughs> um, um, you know, but the but the open silk blouses, yeah, I can pull that off. Um, and um, and also, you know, um, you know, I've always I've always wanted to sing. Okay. So yeah, that's amazing. So you did marching band and you can sing. That's amazing. I, I went home. I didn't say I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, my best work is in the shower. <laughs> if we had more time, I might uh, persuade you. <laughs> oh, please. I, I don't want to set Skype off again, you know. <laughs> uh, well, Venus, thank you so much for joining us and speaking so candidly about your collection and about your life. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure as well. Um, uh, it's, it's been fun, and I'm glad I got a chance to do it. Well, thank you. So for everybody out there, um, go pick up The Fateful Apple by Venus Thrash. It's out by Hawkins Publishing Group. And everybody have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.